Uh, today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 55, which you can find on page 1112 of the Church Bibles. So starting at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at church. It's been a real joy so far uh, this term to be with you each week as we work our way through the second half of the book of Isaiah. Um, for me, it's a great thing to be part of a community half filled with people that I've known and loved serving God alongside for many years, and also half filled with lots of people that I've only just met in recent weeks and months. It's a great privilege and source of joy, and I hope that's something that you share as well. Last week, we took a deep dive into the cross of Christ via Isaiah 52 and 53, where we saw the depths of God's love for us. But at the cross, as Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us, it was there that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. God's grace to us in this way speaks very powerfully to our identity as dearly loved children of God, pursued and reconciled by a loving Father. Such knowledge of God and his plans and uh, his love for us and a right understanding of who we are is intended to evoke great passions in us for God's glory. And I left you with a big picture question to ponder, challenging to think through what, in response to God's grace, are you going to give the best of your time, creativity and energy to for the next 25 years? 
What habits might you seek to change today in God's strength to give yourself more fully to Christ, his plans, his gospel and his church, so that these next 25 years, if they are granted to us, might really count? Today I want to put it to you as we begin that uh, we who gather here today and many in our world really are up for making some more sweeping changes to how we live. I think it's common for the human condition that we by nature thirst for more. Uh, I'm uh, 48 in a few months' time. I know I don't look it. I've got a young wife and I look after my skin. (laughs) But it means, actually, a lot of my statements uh, begin with the phrase, as I'm getting older, I've noticed that. (laughs) So one of the things I've noticed as I get older is that so much of what can seem so important to us in one period of life can simply pass away. There are, of course, many great comforts in life, many sources of joy, happy memories, great experiences. Yet alongside that, I've seen many friendships that were once so close to me or to others just drift apart. The promise to kind of stay in touch as we move jobs or houses often doesn't materialise and we can be left thirsting for more people who really know us and are for us. In my time in the finance industry, I saw people work their way up the corporate ladder for decades, working the extra hours, doing the extra study, often sacrificing relationships with family along the way, people who seemed so critical to the success of the business let go in their late 50s when the GFC hit and their jobs given to younger, much cheaper graduates and years later, few around the place remember them. We thirst to be needed and for our labours to make a real difference. Sadly, poor mental health and degenerative disease rob so many of their future hopes and our lives can be turned upside down with a phone call from the doctor. We thirst for a future that's more secure. All the sociologists tell us that as a society, we're busier than we've ever been with stress and anxiety off the charts. Yet more people than ever report feeling lonely, rushed off their feet to the point of exhaustion and feel like they're falling behind. And so much of what we tell ourselves as a society that it's the brevity of life and living for today that makes it so beautiful really is just empty sentiment at the end of the day. And I think we do thirst and long for so much more, something more enduring. All of those problems are common to the human condition, of course, yet Christians, I think, sometimes can feel all of it and then begin to see our commitment to Jesus as yet another layer of responsibility on top of all the others, responsibilities that our neighbours and friends do not have. And as Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our hearts can say, I trust you, Jesus, but I still thirst for that relief. 
Now, I trust that some of you are travelling really well, which is great, but I just feel like I've had conversation after conversation lately with people who are really quite worn and worried about something. They're lonely. They're worried about a child. Work or health is weighing on them. There's significant relational tension for some. They're tired and just a bit sad and think they're the only one. Uh, A doctor said this week that it's a, a running joke in the medical community that psychiatrists spend all those years of training and all they really need to know are two questions. The first one, how are you going? And followed by... How are you really going? (laughs) Whatever your answer today, put on the psychiatrist's couch, nearly all of us in some aspect are thirsting for more, something more enduring, something of greater worth. And whatever your starting point, our passage in Isaiah lays before us an invitation to something truly thirst-quenching and beautiful in life. A great hope for the future But it also leads us to experiencing God's blessings today amidst the many trials and joys that will pass away. God offers us something truly precious that is of enduring value. Many of the first readers of Isaiah were thirsting for something more too as they lived in exile. Their nation had been destroyed, they were oppressed, living in difficult times, and the way forward seemed unclear. And it's into these dark days, Isaiah's ministry has been to paint a beautiful picture in these sort of last sort of 15 chapters or so of God's coming servant and his work as saviour, ruler, witness. And he calls his readers both then and now to give themselves fully to God's plans and purposes that come forth from this servant. If you've worked uh, in sales before, uh, you'll know in retail that they talk about the last three feet in the retail shopper that are most important as someone sort of teeters on the edge of uh, potentially buying one thing or more. Or it's at the end of the presentation where you make the call to action in that last 60 seconds that's the most critical to win a new customer. Isaiah in chapter 55 is effectively saying to us, You've heard the plan. You know what the servant is coming to do. His scope is as saviour of the whole world. His work will extend to the farthest islands. His promises are true. He will prosper in his work. He will succeed. So, are you in? Isaiah seeks our commitment to the purposes and plans of God in this world. Yet God is no salesman on commission. He's the creator of the world calling us to rightly order our lives, to place our relationship with him at the centre of everything and to experience his blessing. And so the invitation comes, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money? On what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Isaiah paints an image of great refreshment for humanity, like 
a glass of water when you've been working in the sun too long in the garden, images of sustenance without cost, wine to gladden the heart and the most beautiful of foods to delight in. But this is more than an image of something good. It's an invitation to come and enjoy it. To kind of get the difference, like if someone pulls out their phone after church today and shows you the holiday house they've just built or bought, and you think that looks nice, there's waterfront, a jetty on the river, a boat, a barbecue, big table we can sit around and have meals together. You can appreciate it by looking at the images, but it's something altogether different if they say, do you want to come join us there on the next long weekend? We can enjoy it together. It's personal. Someone wants a relationship with you and to to share something beautiful with you. Isaiah is not simply painting an image here on God's behalf. He's extending an invitation to each one of you to come and to enjoy. This talk of blessing without cost isn't, you know, God's plan to tackle the rising cost of living. As we saw last week, it's an invitation to be reconciled to God through the sacrificial death of his servant. It's free to us because the price has been paid by God's servant, who Isaiah looked forward to and we now look back to, knowing that it was Jesus Isaiah spoke of as he says the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 3 makes it clear that life and an everlasting covenant relationship is what's on offer here that God will deliver on his promise to David to bring a ruler from his line that will sit on the throne forever. It was Jesus who brought this promise to bear, instituting a new and eternal covenant between God and humanity, using the images of bread and wine, symbolising his body and blood, broken and shed for us. God's promise to make him a witness to the peoples of the world, a ruler and a commander, Summoning the nations, verse 4 and 5. Quite mind-blowing, I'm sure, for the first readers of Isaiah, whose nation was sort of at first under threat and then destroyed, in an act of God's judgment. To hear that in the future, nations they know not will come running to God's servant because he's been endowed with God's splendour. They couldn't have conceived of the vastness of Africa, Asia, South America with believers in the millennia to come running to Jesus. Pacific Islanders and people like you and I on the world's biggest island worshipping the Lord, but God promised it and God always keeps his promises. Yet this invitation also comes to us with some urgency. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. For those here who are checking out Jesus for the first time or thinking through things for the first time in a long time, it's great to have you with us. And as Cam said, we're committed to planting new churches like this because we think God actually has urgent news to share with our world. God is both just and holy. His presence can bear no sin at all. Not one of us, despite what we think, can stand before him on our own merits no matter how good. Yet because of God's great love, he sent this servant, this beautiful picture that Isaiah is painting, that we now know as Jesus, to bear sin's penalty for us, standing 
in our place under God's justice. And to those who accept Jesus' gracious offer, we are cleansed in God's sight. We can run to him and be with him all of our days. Eternity hangs in the balance on whether you accept this invite. I know it's socially awkward to say, but I'd be doing you a disservice by not pointing out if you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus, you're actually in great danger each day you walk this planet without seeking the Lord that we're invited to here. Death, of course, may come away at any time, but we're all optimists when it comes to us thinking it's not going to be this day. So maybe if that's you, think about it like this. Perhaps today is the closest you'll ever come to making that step, to give ear to and come and listen to the Lord who waits for you, like a loving father does. Each Sunday morning when I preach, I I leave quite early in the morning to do a a little sermon rewriting for a few hours. And because of the floorboards in our house and the door being near the girls' room, I know that without fail, Poppy, my seven-year-old, will hear me when I leave and she loves a goodbye hug. So as I go to close the door... I know I have to go, and I'm always in a bit of a rush, but I always wait for a moment and wait for that sound of little footsteps running. Because I hate the idea of Poppy just missing me and being distressed as she hears me take off in the car, which, if you've seen it, is a little green thing with a hole in the muffler at the moment. It's you know, kind of the Hyundai Elantra 2003 Rally Edition, it sounds like. So she'd definitely wake up when I turn that on. Each day across the world, the invitation of God goes out to have our relationship with God restored by Jesus so we can take our place and find security and peace and blessing and joy in his presence for all eternity. And God waits. But one day, that door will close and God will call time. So... Hear Isaiah's words, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. God calls all people to forsake our ways that disrespect, dishonour, offend and enrage God and let go of our thoughts of rebellion and turn to God who will show mercy and free pardon as we read in verse 7. More on why that's necessary in a minute, but if you're considering Jesus, but to the majority here today who have already come to God's servant, a brief side note, repentance, as Christians call it, turning from sin, finding mercy and pursuing God in his ways is not just a one-time act. It's a lifetime's work till we see Jesus face to face. It's always a good time to ask, are there areas of my life where I've become complacent about sin? Have I given up that fight against that stubborn area of sin in my life? We all have them, as far as I can tell. There is nothing more wearing that grinds us down more than ongoing sin. Perhaps now is a great time 
to bring that area of sin to light with a Christian friend, to be prey. If someone asks you, your first job is to reassure them of God's grace and mercy and then ask God for his strength to find the refreshment that comes with a renewed focus on putting sin to death each day. But for those, however, still considering Jesus' invitation, I've got to say it's a pretty normal uh, human trait to self-justify. Christians still feel it as well, to say to yourself, you know, if there is a God who judges, I can lift off my proudest moments. And surely my shortcomings, I know there's a few, but surely they aren't that bad because I can always look to someone else who does far worse. And in doing so, we cannot see the need for God's grace, for God to show us mercy. Yet look with me at verses 8 and 9. Read them along with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, sorry, neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says God. Humanity consistently takes good things from God and twists them and mars them, bringing harm to herself and others, evoking God's right anger and hurting one another. Take something seemingly small, uh, like good humour. If you know me, I find a good laugh at something genuinely funny great. Yet so often... We use sarcasm to cut others down and make fun of others, bringing real hurt, yet excuse it in Australia, but I was only joking. (laughs) Or take something like sex, a good gift from God meant to glue together a husband and wife for the long haul of a lifelong commitment. Yet so many use it as a pastime, a recreational pursuit outside of the context and wonder why the long-term effect of bonding two people together and then breaking it brings us such harm over the long haul. We've turned it into a spectator sport on the internet too. Porn sites are 4% of the internet, yet over 30% of all internet traffic, training us to look at our partners with dissatisfaction or question the high value God places on those who remain single and celibate. Or wine, which is a good gift by God to gladden the heart of humanity as a symbol of his blessing and celebratory intent, like in today's passage. Yet we take it to excess at the expense of our health, or worse, it fuels conflict and abuse in the home, bringing great harm. God's ways are higher than our ways. Our thoughts on how to live a life to the full are not God's thoughts. His ways are higher. If you're considering Jesus, Christians are painfully aware that as our world publicly uh, embraces a view of life that sort of bit by bit diverges from God's way, that many see God's ways as restrictive or repressive. Many mock or sit in judgment upon God and see it as progress to erase Christian thought from the public realm. This is not new to God. His thoughts and ways have always been different. 
If you're considering Jesus' invitation, it's normal to have a list of objections about God and his ways. Some may well be misconceptions. Issues of sexuality and gender are big at the moment. And let me be clear, God is not calling Christians anywhere to hate anyone. Quite the opposite, really. God calls all his people to lovingly serve and sacrifice for the good of every other person on the planet who doesn't know Jesus. God lovingly pursues. His commitment to equality is higher than ours. He calls all people everywhere to forsake their ways and thoughts because his ways and thoughts are higher. Whatever issue you have with God, may I suggest that perhaps a way forward is to reframe your objection. Whenever you see God setting a boundary in life as he shares his law and his ways or sets a context or contains the amount of something, God, as he does so, isn't laying down an arbitrary set of laws for us to stumble upon. Instead, reframe your question. Ask yourself or ask a Christian that you know, how is God protecting something that he loves as he shares his thoughts and his ways? Totally reframes the question. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, Isaiah says to us. Verses 10 to 11 now point out the obvious. If we are to know God's thoughts and ways, he needs to reveal them to us. And like rain comes down from the heavens bringing life and green shoots and buds and flowers to a parched earth. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, says God. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The next best step for anyone open to God's invitation is to start reading God's word. As a church, we have a great resource to get you into John's account of Jesus' life. It's super helpful for anyone to do one-to-one with someone else. Just come have a chat after church or tick the box. I'd like to find out more about Jesus on the tear-off slips and we'll be in touch. And for the Christian, I want to encourage you, however far you get in life, however much of a command you get over how the Bible all fits together, keep that thirst for God's word because we are to draw strength from it, discuss it together, grow in our understanding of it, letting others share their insights and gifts in applying it to our hearts. And it does achieve the purpose for which God gave it to us. And Isaiah finishes this great invitation with a beautiful picture. It's one of all creation bursting into song and celebration with all evil and everything that mars this world being completely wiped out, replaced only with beauty. Humanity is always striving to leave behind a a legacy of some sort, some great sign of our achievements, a family, a building, a great company. Yet what God creates will last forever. A people for himself who have accepted his invitation and offer of reconciliation and blessing without cost. And it's this joyful host, this 
people from all the nations coming to experience his blessing for all time. That is the legacy God chooses to display his greatness. As our last three lines of Isaiah 53 say, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So, what's the challenge we face today? Why do so many of us, if we're honest, feel so worn? Why does the joy of this passage not so easily translate to a a deep and abiding sense of calm and thankfulness to God for more of us? Now, I'm going to intentionally light up the SMS line uh, here. The, The numbers on your leaflet, it's anonymous. You can text You can go as hard as you like. I'll try not to take my foot off the accelerator. But I think the vast majority of the church in the West today, the Trinity Network, and us here at Trinity Church Tonsley, have fallen for the lie that we can have it all. And I feel like someone just needs to say that out loud. The main task Isaiah was given to address, the underlying reason God's disciplining punishment was coming upon the people of Isaiah's day was idolatry. But it's not necessarily what we think. The people would go to the temple of God and pray, seeking his blessing, for sure. But then they'd go home and pray to the God of fertility, the God of fortune, the God of harvest, and look for their blessings too. I think many of us, myself included, do the modern-day equivalent to some degree. We give the best of our resources to the things of this world, our work, family and experiences, and look for them to satisfy. They are all good things in their right place, gifts from God. But our ambition, our creativity, our gifts, our entrepreneurial flair, if we have it, are so often exhausted to build our own renown. We spend ourselves to the very end on what is not bread. We exhaust ourselves on things that are never meant to satisfy. And we come before God exhausted, looking for a spiritual pick-me-up just to help me press on. This very central tension in Isaiah, the ultimate purpose of God's grace, is to rightly order our worship and to put God at the very centre of our lives, to turn our ambitions away from ourselves, to give the first and the best of what we've been given over to God for his purposes and to listen to him. God's glory isn't contingent on us as if God needs anything from us. The solution is rather to let God's glory, which is immense, be big in our hearts That's the blanks to fill out in the outline if you're taking notes today. The solution to our problem is letting God's glory be big in our hearts and to give ourselves joyfully to God and his purposes in our lives today, recognising that our world will always seek to take the best of our energy, our gifts, our creativity for other purposes, and it won't mind at all if it exhausts us. 
we have to step away from the misconception that we can have it all. Everything this world has to offer plus the blessings of God. Jesus is very clear when it comes to all sorts of things. When you read it uh, in the Bible, Jesus will say, you just simply cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is that black and white. I think that's at the heart of reordering our worship to put God at the centre. For some of us, this might mean that we choose not to do the extra study on top of full-time work so that we might have more energy instead to invest in the things of God. For some of us, we might need to be part of one less group or have our kids on one less sports team to prioritise meeting together to encourage others and to serve God and our church family. It's my observation, often with good heart, that there are those among us who try and keep up with every good Christian friend that they've made on every past church that they've been to. Sometimes I think we just need to say, in not so many words, and maybe a little kinder, but bye, I'll see you in heaven, <laughs> to make room for those around us in life who don't know Christ and for those looking in this church right now for real relationships. We might not decide to do the big renovation on the house. Perhaps we dial it back a little bit more modestly so we can support people like the Purdies as they build God's church in South America. It might be that the second car is a faded 20-year-old thing with a hole in the muffler sitting outside so that we can give ourselves... We don't... I think... We just operate on thinking we have to. If I can afford it, if I can do the study, if I can, I just have to. We feel trapped and we exhaust ourselves on things that do not satisfy. Whatever the situation might look like for you, don't spend yourselves on things that will not sustain you. Do not exhaust yourself, Isaiah says, on what does not satisfy Say no to the lie that we can have it all. Dial it back so that God can take up a truly central place in our lives. So that we can give the best of our time, our creativity, our entrepreneurial flair, our love, our concern for others to God. We can turn our ambitions away from ourselves and our little kingdom and be ambitious in how God might use us as people who live for his renown. Just imagine, regularly, this might take a bit of, a bit of imagining for uh, some more than others, but just imagine walking into a gathering of God's people with real energy to give, to sing God's praises with passion, not a sense of duty, to have space, for new people in our lives that you might invite home for soup and sandwiches today. With time in our calendar to invest in those around us who don't know Jesus, to form deeper and truer relationships, to serve them, to kind of mix our circles of friends, introduce them to our church family over a barbecue, have time to share a coffee, meals and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, this extraordinary good news of an invitation to life with God without cost because Jesus has paid the price for us. God, at the centre of our lives, listening to him, turning from sin, 
getting to know and love God's ways and God's thoughts as we trust in the power of God's word to do its work, knowing real joy and true peace, investing the first and best part of what God's given us in his plans and purposes. That, I think, is what you really want to give yourselves to this next 25 years of your life, if God grants it to you. That is where satisfaction and true life are found. That is the invitation God makes to you this day. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the challenges of Isaiah's words, not only to his day, but to our day, calling us not to divide our loyalties between the things of this world and you and the, the foolishness of uh, spending ourselves and all our energy and the good gifts you've given us on things that do not satisfy. Please, Lord, do a great work in our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we may joyfully give the best and the first of what you have given us to your plans and purposes in this world. May we look forward to that day that Isaiah says that we will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before us and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. Please, Lord, let this be for your renown. We thank you that the great sign that you give this world of your greatness is a people who lovingly accept your invitation and experience your peace and joy. We look forward to that ultimately being fulfilled when we see you face to face. But please, Lord, change us this day, bit by bit. Help us to change our habits, what we give ourselves to, so that we might be a people living for your renown as an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And it's in Jesus' precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.